a peace that surpasses all understanding. In this podcast, Eckhart talks about the deep eye and the surface eye, two ideas he uses to teach spiritual development. He says the surface eye is our personality and is connected to the horizontal dimension, the realm of our everyday lives. And he explains when things start to break down, we see how unstable life can be, that all that looks solid one day can begin to crumble, like losing a job, going through a divorce, getting older or losing a loved one. Eckhart says in those moments, our lives are suddenly full of loss and suffering. He explains why this is the perfect opportunity to get in touch with the aspect of ourselves that he calls the deep eye or the vertical dimension. He says life's crises are meant to push us towards transcendence, where he says we will find a peace that surpasses all understanding. I mentioned earlier the term the deep eye contrasting with the surface eye, the, the surface eye, the deep eye. The deep eye is what in traditional Hindu teachings would be called the, the self or the Atman, and what in Buddhist teachings is called spaciousness, the no-self, basically, it's called the no-self. So that can lead to confusion. One tradition called it the self, and the other called it the no-self. But the self, of course, is different from, it's not the surface self. The surface self in itself is not the ego, necessarily, only in the absence of awareness of the deep eye, which is the awareness, the surface eye becomes the ego, because then consciousness identifies with the surface eye, then through this complete identification, it becomes the ego. When you realize the deep eye, the surface eye is still there, but it's no longer egoic, so there's no longer identification with it, although for many humans, for quite a while, they go back and forth between reverting to identification, the loss of awareness of the deep eye, which is loss of awareness. But basically, the important thing to realize is there are, one could say there are two of you, not in ultimate terms, but only in the same way that there's the ripple and there's the ocean. So the ripple exists on the surface of the ocean. In that sense, there's two. <laughs> but of course, ultimately, there's not two because ripple and ocean are one. So one could also say the surface eye, which is a conditioned mind, the mental, emotional entity conditioned by the past, the surface eye is a personality. That is what people refer to usually when they use the pronoun I, me and my story. And uh, there's two of you, there's also you as the transcendent consciousness. And that's, that discovery is wonderful and that can then be in the background of your life, 
at all times, if possible. Sometimes perhaps very much in the background and then more in the foreground, in the fluctuations, but it's always there, awareness. Awareness remains. I am is the, that realization that refers to the deep I, not to the egoic I. Ramana Maharshi, the great Indian uh, sage and spiritual teacher, he said that the best definition of God that he had come across anywhere, and he was a teacher of, obviously of Hinduism, the particular branch of Advaita Vedanta, the teaching of non-duality. And he said the best definition in, in words or concepts that he had come across anywhere appeared in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, with God's self-definition of I am that I am. It can be translated slightly differently too. My favorite one would be I am the I am. Moses in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament meets God, whatever that means, and asks, who are you? And the answer is, oh, what's your name, who are you? And the answer is, I am the I am. And then he said, uh, Moses said something like, so what? He was, he was on top of the mountain, whether it's a, it could be a metaphorical mountain or an actual mountain. And he said, what shall I tell my people when I go down to them? Who, who, what shall I tell them? Who sent me to them? And God says, tell them the I am sent you. <laughs> and then we have a very interesting and profound references to the I am, also in the New Testament, more particularly the Gospel of John. For example, the profound statement of Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I am is timeless. He's not saying I'm older than Abraham, or I was already before Abraham, or I was already there. No, there is no past in the I am, and there is no future. Before Abraham was, I am. The innermost identity, that which is beyond form, but is indwelling, so to speak, in the form. It's the, the space at the center of your being. And then we have another interesting statement, I believe again in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am is the only way. In my view, you may not agree, but that's okay. There's only one very small word missing. Maybe it got lost in translation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The little word missing would be is. I am is the way, the truth, and the life. So I am is the realization of who you are prior to anything else. 
nothing beyond the form as which you appear. And it's, it's, a, it's a sensing within, particularly it's accessible when the mind stops because that obscures it. And it's the remaining awareness. And there's, in that awareness you know that you are. In other words, I am. But that's all you know, but that's very profound. There's a, it's not knowing in the conceptual sense. It's a direct knowing. That's the source of all knowing. It connects you with that which is not part of this dimension. It's transcendent to this dimension. So you are a multi-dimensional being even your thoughts and emotions already exist in a non-physical dimension. They, yes, there are reflections of them, there's a correlation between thoughts and emotions and the physical form, but in themselves, thoughts and emotions, you cannot find them in the realm of physicality, no matter how hard you look. Where is he? Let's cut open his brain. Where or where are the emotions? Where? So even there already, the level of mind is already not this dimension. It's in the, and then it goes deeper. So the personal still persists even beyond the physical form. So you, let's just imagine it's a sphere and you exist on the surface. Exist means stand out. So you, you, stand, you stand on the surface and just underneath the surface is the thoughts and emotions and there's the unconscious stuff that's happening in you. And then that in that sense, you as a personality kind of continues even there. And if you choose to believe in reincarnation, that part that is still the personality, unaware of, its, of ultimately a deluded a form, form of delusion, <laughs> a, a dream entity, it still continues to exist, the, the dream self, the, it's still a surface self, although it's a little bit below the surface. It continues to exist and it and seeks another life to experience further thirst for sensory experience and even the need to suffer and have drama. And eventually, at some point, there is an awakening and the awakening is you realize the depths of you because who you are goes to the very center and let's use this analogy of the sphere. The, the depths of who you are, the, your identity, your deep eye goes very deep. It's not in space and time, it's trans-dimensional. It goes to the very center of the sphere. <laughs> That's where your essence identity originates and is. And that is one with the essence of the universe, too. So you, it's the, the realization of the center of it all. 
So one could say, yes, reincarnation exists, but ultimately it's just a continuation of the same dream that you're dreaming now. In the absence of awakening, in that sense, it's an illusion. Then it exists as a kind of illusion, and even this existence here is somewhat illusory, but uh, as you begin to awaken, lucid living happens, not lucid dreaming, lucid living, because this is a bit like we've been speaking about it, and as awareness comes in, uh, there's some, another dimension that for where you can stand back and observe. But not only observe through awareness, awareness can also flow into the mind and use it as an instrument in this dimension, but it originates in another dimension. That may sound a little complicated, but it's not at all. Only when you start to think about it. <laughs> uh, one of the favorite questions of the human mind is why? So, but why is this happening? And then if you give an answer to that, there will be another why, and another, and another. But the true answer is we don't know why. You can glimpse, have glimpses of it, but it's beyond conceptualization. Impossible to understand through the intellect, the, the human mind, completely impossible. And of course, if the I am is, refers to the being of you, the being of you. To be and I am is the same word, basically, for some weird reason, it, the first person singular and the others are all different from the infinitive. With most other words, you have to speak is the infinitive, I speak is the first person singular. But to be is the infinitive, and I am is the first person singular of the word to be. So it's about being, the being of you. I don't know why we don't say I be. It really should be I be. That perhaps still persists in German, where the I am is ich bin, the bin, B-I-N, is probably etymologically related to the word be, to be. The being of you, so there is being, which is found in the vertical dimension, the depths of you, and there is the existence, which is the horizontal dimension where things exist. X means out. They are manifested in this physical dimension. They stand out, exist. In that sense, of course, one could say that God does not exist because that would imply if God exists, God would have be manifested in space and time somewhere. Where is God? Traditionally, people point that way. Uh, so for hundreds of years, they've always looked upwards, looking for God there. And then we learned a bit more about the earth and space. And then we began to realize that ultimately, there's no up and down. 
if you leave this planet, you go into, into space, you suddenly realize up and down have disappeared. There is no up and no down. <laughs> and there was even a Russian astronaut, still at the time of the Soviet Union, which tried to eliminate all religious beliefs and so on. So the astronaut, perhaps the first one that went out in space, then he got back and said, I didn't see God anywhere up there. <laughs> okay, now we have the proof that God does not exist. <laughs> so all we can say then is the consciousness that is the essence of who you are, that you can be aware of as the awareness when you don't add anything to the statement I am but be happy with a silent space after you've said I am there's a silent space where you're not trying to figure out who or what you are that silent space there's the entry point that's the beginning of the answer When things break down in your life, which is the horizontal dimension, when you see the, how unstable ultimately everything is in the horizontal dimension, things collapse, break down, the physical body too, and as your life is crumbling, that is often a great opportunity for realizing the deep eye, when the surface eye becomes extremely unsatisfying or a source of suffering. And traditionally it's been the, often the case that humans who experience great loss on the horizontal dimension, often after enormous, almost unbearable suffering, were able to suddenly realize the vertical dimension, the deep eye. And that is what is called in the Bible the peace that passes all understanding. You suddenly enter a realm of deep peace in the midst of all the turmoil and collapse. Suddenly you go, wow. You can't figure out why you feel peace. This is why it's called the peace that passes all understanding, except that I'm now explaining it. So now, <laughs> so now you can actually understand it. <laughs> so the loss and collapse of forms around you provide a potential opening into the depth dimension, potentially. There's no guarantee that it will happen to a human being because in, in quite a few, many cases, when there is great loss and collapse around you, all around you, it can actually have the opposite effect too. It can strengthen the egoic self that becomes then very bitter and resentful or dreadful that everything is. and blames and accuses and feels deeply unhappy and oh. And, and that could be the opposite of the opening, the opening is then missed, unfortunately. However, you don't need to wait for that anymore. And many of you have probably already had experiences of great loss. 
have become aware of the uh, insubstantiality of the seemingly solid things around you, including the body. So you already have had perhaps, perhaps your experience of loss or suffering of one kind or another, and that's without that you wouldn't be here. That has driven you deeper. Will you have it again? It's possible, there's no guarantee that you will not have it, but it won't be that bad anymore because it will not reactivate the ego in you. It could, but it's unlikely because there's already, you already have now voluntarily gone deeper. So life doesn't have to necessarily push you into it, but although the deepening can, can, will also happen through encountering, if you encounter it again, some kind of loss. And you will, of course, obviously, because at some point death will be approaching. It's coming, it's coming. And then it, it, the, the deepening happens. But you don't need the disaster necessarily anymore to, uh, to take you there. I had an interesting um, brush with death three months ago. <laughs> I've never seen a doctor, rare, very rarely seen a doctor in my life. Never been to a hospital as a patient in 73 years. This is my 74th, in 73 years. And uh, there was an irregularity in my intestinal bowel stuff, whatever the words are, for two years already, but I didn't want to see a doctor. I said, it's, it'll go away. That was a mistake, it didn't go away. <laughs> and finally, it was getting worse, and there was some blockage, and I saw a doctor, and he said, you must immediately have a colonoscopy. That was in January, and I went, had a colonoscopy. Not pleasant, but not that, not that bad. And I expected him to say, well, you have, I suspect it might be colitis or this or that. Or he might say, we need to take some tissue samples just to make sure that you don't. But immediately after colonoscopy, he said, you have cancer. Oh, interesting. Um, Kim was there and I told her and she tells me that I'd looked a bit shocked, but by the time we reached the car, she says, she observed I was totally at peace, and that is true. My mind was even more silent than it normally is in the following weeks, well, days. Just intense depths of eye, beautiful. Maybe I'll be dead in a few months, I thought, but that's okay, I don't mind. And then, strangely, some people, sometimes people complain about Canadian healthcare, that you have to wait a long time for operations, but in my case, after the diagnosis, 10 days later, I was already 
undergoing the operation where they removed a section of the colon and then was examined again, um, whatever the machine is called, and they said, fine, there's no metastasizing, see, has happened, or maybe it did happen and it disappeared, I don't know. But anyway, that was, they said, you're okay. That was a good experience of depth. It can come at any time. There's no necess necessary correlation between spiritual realization and things going wrong in the body. Ultimately, things will go wrong somewhere because you'll die of something. Some organ will fail, whatever, something will happen. And great teachers have had died of cancer. Ramana Maharshi died of cancer and, and so on. It is true that in many cases, dysfunctional mental-emotional states can lead to many, many illnesses because it reduces the immunity and every, even mainstream medicine ex accepts that fact, stress and so on. But there are many other factors that we don't know of, perhaps bad, when I was poor for many years, perhaps that certainly not excellent nutrition during those times. <laughs> Lived on baked beans and toast for years in England. <laughs> so who knows? But when the thinking mind stops and there's just at the depth of presence, basically you've died already, there's nothing to fear because the person has already receded, so there's just intense presence. What death really becomes insignificant. But for all of you, there may be some of you who also have that also similar illness. On the one hand, you accept that death may come, it's fine, but on the other hand, you can also be as present as possible during the day, we are absolutely and intensely present, particularly helpful, have consciousness in the inner energy field of the body as much as possible. Another very interesting statement by Jesus that nobody understands from the Bible. The translation is also a little questionable. If your eye is single, or if your eye is sound, or if your eye is one-pointed, eye referring to this eye, but it's a metaphorical eye, then your body will be filled with light, he says. Your body will be filled with light. If your attention is one-pointed on the body, I suppose that's what he was talking about, this is, uh, nobody in the churches, they don't know what to do with that statement. Your body will be filled with light. <laughs> but that is inner body awareness. There's great healing there. It may not necessarily heal everything, but it's, uh, if it heals the physical body, fine. If it doesn't, it's still the most wonderful thing to be realizing that intense aliveness that's there, that is beyond physicality, but sustains the physical. So, in, I told you that I have, well, I already have many identities, and after the encounter with this young man and his girlfriend, who told his girlfriend that I was a famous YouTuber, so 
That's, I've acquired that identity, and now, now I have another one. I'm a cancer survivor. <laughs> and so that's another nice conceptual identity, can feel good about myself. <laughs> Until the next thing happens. <laughs> They're all surface identities, but that's okay. You can play around with surface identities. They're not, of course, who you are, but some serve a purpose in this world to simplify communication and so on. Especially when you, sometimes when you go into another country and they say, why are, why are you coming to, to our country? at the immigration control. Well, um, I'm a writer and I am delivering a lecture. Oh, okay. That so works better than I teach the essence of, of self-realization and... Uh, that, oh, but we need to question you a bit further. You seem to... You, you seem mentally unstable. There was actually a Canadian spiritual teacher I heard of. He, years ago, he was traveling, to, attempting to enter the United States for uh, talks, and he was stopped by immigration and questioned. And they, he was not familiar with, with simplicity of conventional identities. So when they asked, what, what are you here for? He said, I am a teacher of truth. He was not admitted. <laughs> and he hasn't been able to come back since. <laughs> Let's see if there are any questions uh, left. I am not allowed to choose the questioners because it wouldn't work, unfortunately. I can point who I'm appointing at. You wouldn't know, but here we have. Well, maybe I'll get out my glasses. Hello, Eckhart. Hello. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you for all that you do. My question is: Aren't there times when you have to say no? Um, I have two examples. Brief. I'm a writer. A man asked me to write a script for his spiritual film. I agreed to this. Subsequent to this, I visited his Facebook page. I discovered that it is likely that this man was at the Capitol on January 6th. I told him that I had changed my mind and why. And he explained that he didn't like what was happening in the world and wanted to learn more about the left from me. At the time, I was listening to Michael Singer's lecture on surrender, a subject that you have spoken much about. I did not want to do it and would have been embarrassed, really, in front of everyone that I know. Not only that, but it was a dangerous proposition for me, given that I am black. 
briefly, uh, the second example is that I have two grown uh, daughters and my neighbor has five very young children. She is married, but her husband is, euphemistically speaking, not helpful. <laughs> I, helped, I helped her when I could voluntarily, but most of the time I was being requested to help and she was becoming dependent on me. But I was not interested in being a second mom. So those are the two examples. But uh, finally, in a semi-related question, how can black people not identify as black when the world around them tells them that they don't matter because they are black? And did you know Stuart Wilde? I've been, asked, I've been wanting to ask you that for the, for the well, longest. Well, Stuart Wilde. What was did the you, last bit that you cut? I said, uh, did you know Stuart Wilde? Oh, uh, not personally. Oh, okay. He's one of my other favorite teachers. Ah, yes. He passed away a few years ago. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. You're very, very welcome. Interesting. Thank you. I love you. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to keep you necessarily standing for too long. The answer might be a bit long or not. We don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so you have there are two, there are basically two questions. One is a question about the no, and the other is a question about identity, yeah. ad identifying with uh, your um, race, ra racial identity, and how can you not, and so on. So I'll answer both. Okay. Thank you without my glasses. <laughs> so I often say, say yes to the present moment, or I say, make the present moment your friend, not your enemy. So it's a, to say yes to the present moment is a powerful teaching, but it can be misunderstood, and has been misunderstood sometimes, and it needs to be explained what that actually means. So to say yes to the present moment does not mean that you accept everything that people ask of you. In some cases, you have to use the no, but not in an angry way that denies the present moment. I call that a high quality no. Uh, so it's, let's say, in your case, can you look after my children? Or let's be, can, because I, I need you, you're so, so good with children. She'll flatter you, you feel obliged. You're such a wonderful person, I love you. Can you do it again, please? And at some point, I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. Um, but without any negativity, a simple statement, it is not a reactive statement. You don't make her into, into a bad person who would, I know she, you want to take advantage of me, I'm not doing it anymore. That is a low quality no. <laughs> uh, even if perhaps you, she did try to, perhaps she was trying to take advantage of you, but that is not, that may be then a dysfunction in her egoic self. Many humans do that. The world is full of people who perhaps are trying to take advantage of you. That's what the egos do. And so it's not who she truly is. But you do not speak to the ego in her. You simply say, I love your children. They're just wonderful and I enjoyed my time, but I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry about that. High quality, no, 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 I can't do that. A person says, 
can you lend me another thousand uh, um, dollars? And he said, well, I've already lent you 2,000 three months ago, and last year I lent you 5,000. I haven't got anything back yet. And then he said, I'm sorry, I have to say no. But you, you don't say, you're just trying to use me, you're, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be used anymore by you. This is it, that's it, and no more. <laughs> that, that, that's another kind of no, but it's a low-quality no. Um, the high quality, no, I'm no, sorry, that's it. I can't do that anymore. This, it, uh, it, imply, it implies there's a presence behind what you say. It's not reactive. And with the same, the person who asks you to write something, you say, I've seen the background, I'm not in agreement with that, therefore I'm sorry, I need, need to say no to this. I can't do this, thank you. High quality, no, it's beautiful. And it quite often, you may have to use that, make sure that it's not reactive and then becomes low quality. So that's, that's the answer to the, the no question. The next question is, um, how can I not identify with being black? Of course, being black is part of your form identity. So you do identify to some extent with being black, but it is not the main ingredient of your identity. It is part of your form identity, and you accept it as your form identity, and you you come you honor it as your form identity. There are other form identities. Your it could be your your nationality, your gender, many types of form identity. You honor the form also. You honor that and accept that. So you have both. You exist as this form, which also needs to be honored, not. Not, not denied, but to be rooted in something that is far deeper than anything that makes up your form identity, to be rooted in the being of you. Uh, there, you are neither black nor white, nor are you man or woman, nor are you young or old. Those no longer apply in the depths of your being, the, the, the consciousness that you are, the deep I, has no time to it, has no form to it. So you are rooted in the deep eye, then you can honor your form also, but you are rooted in something more essential and more real than that. Thank you, appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.